Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast, Indy Star's Pacers podcast. I'm Nat Newell, Pacers editor for Indy Star, here with Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider. Um, obviously, uh, media day is Monday. Uh, you got to talk to uh, Chad Buchanan on the record, the GM of the Pacers, yesterday. So this is sort of our training camp setup podcast. We'll certainly be on at least every other week once the season gets here. Uh, just with the NBA schedule, it makes it a little tricky to do it every week, but we will be regulars uh, with the podcast. Obvious things start off with his Buddy Heald. We've talked about this off the podcast, but... Uh, the one thing that jumps out to me is you hear all these trade uh, rumors, not rumors even, it's just people manufacturing trades, and none of them seem to factor in what the Pacers actually have on their roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one I've used as an example is with the uh, the Bucks have been mentioned as Buddy Heald destination, which makes sense for the Bucks, and you hear uh, Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen, and it's like Grayson Allen is a lesser version of Buddy Heald, and I'm not. And Pat Connaughton probably isn't as good as Aaron Naismith. So why? I understand why the Bucks would make this trade. <laughs> I don't understand why the Pacers would make that trade at all. You wrote a story earlier this week yeah. about this topic, uh, healed in general, and this specifically. Uh, just sort of take us through your thoughts on what's up with healed, what the future is in terms of his trade prospects, and let's actually talk about what the Pacers might want in a trade. Yeah, I mean, just to start to. to this is sort of the, the current on-the-record state of affairs, according to Chad Buchanan, um, is that basically he said that, you know, that there, were, there had been contract negotiations. They are at a halt, but he says that doesn't necessarily mean they're done. Uh, they do, they, he said they do want to go into the season with Buddy Heald. That doesn't mean that they won't listen to offers. They will take calls uh, and whatnot. So if anybody has a Buddy Heald offer out there, but he, he, he said we're not looking to move him. So I guess my, what it seems like, they're not aggressively looking to trade him, but he can be had. I guess is sort of that's the best way to put it is is because this is probably going to break down and they're uh, they're pres- they are going into it presuming that he is not going to resign that that he is going to be uh, move on at the end of the year. I think they're they're willing to let him walk if they don't get a good enough deal. They're not going to trade him for pennies on the dollar. I don't think, but they might maybe they'll trade him for seventy five cents on the dollar or something along those lines. I mean, it's a question of just just how close they feel like they can get. Um, and it's an interesting scenario for them because it's. What makes sense? You know, what makes sense? Why would you, you know, because um, if you keep him and let him walk, you do get one more year of Buddy Heald. That's a value, you know, for, for as much as, like, you, you look at it as an asset, you got to turn it into another asset. You know, 82 games of Buddy Heald is an asset, you know, especially for, for this team, you know, for, for a team that needs somebody to be able to really space the floor. He's a phenomenal floor spacer, you know, like – Statistically, right now, you'd have to look at him as one of the best three shooters in the league. The other two being Steph, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and those guys make a whole lot more money than he does. Obviously, they do more things. You know, you could trust Clay to defend. He's been a championship player. Steph Curry is one of the top ten. You know, might be the second best point guard of all time. You know, altogether possible. Maybe first if you want to put him in a discussion with Magic. I wouldn't go that far, but he's in there. I mean, he's he's the best, probably the best shooter ever. Uh, so, 
you know, he, he obviously does some things that Buddy doesn't do. But again, you're, you're putting him in there with that category with future Hall of Famers. That's how good of a three-point shooter he is uh, at this stage of his career. 42.5% from three last year, made 288. So he's valuable. And I, I think they view it as we have to view him as valuable. We have to view what he could bring us from a production standpoint as valuable. There's no point in trading him to just pick up a whole bunch of other assets. Because in part, they, they're in a position where they need to elevate their overall level of talent but they don't have holes right now. You look at their, they're almost overstocked in terms of having guys who are useful. There's not a, there's not a position where they don't have some uh, like viable players. You know, they address power forward, picking up Obi Toppin in the trade um, and Garrett, Jarris Walker in the draft. You add, um, you always add Bruce Brown as a, you know, kind of Swiss, Swiss army knife type guard. You can play any position one to four if you had to. I mean, you're not wanting to play him at the four. You've got guys who can play it, but you can trust him anywhere. One to three, you can guard anybody. Um, you've got too many centers. You've got three-point guards. You've got a bunch of wings now. There's not anything that they desperately need. It's like, okay, like you feel your hole needing a, a shooter. We feel ours. If they trade Buddy Hill, their biggest hole becomes having a knockdown shooter. And so it's almost like the, the thing that makes sense, most sense for them to get is to get a younger, cheaper version of Buddy Hill. Is get somebody else who's a real knockdown shooter who you don't have to pay as much, who you might have some more years of control on, have under contract for a while longer, um, that you, you can wait until you have to give him his big payday. Um, so that's not an easy thing to work out. I mean, I think another one of the trades that, that they, um, when we talked about they, Zach Lowe and, and uh, on his podcast, you know, with Bobby Marks was talking out some ideas. Um, and obviously those are highly respectful guys talking about this. So it was interesting to hear their thoughts. We both listened to that podcast. Um, you know, they talked about Allen and, uh, and Connaught. And then I think the other one that Bobby Marks brought up was basically Isaiah Joe and a contract filler, a money filler, which would have been Davis Bertans, a guy who makes $17 million a year and last year averaged 4.6 points a game, was, as you recall, I believe a Pacers draftee who never actually played for the Pacers. Um, so it, that's the sort of situation that I find themselves in is, is taking somebody younger and cheaper and then somebody older and more well-paid but useless that they are not going to you know keep on the team because you bring Bertans in to be another five-man. You know, like you really need that. Uh, you know, that's just like just bring a guy on just to cut his contract. So it's they're they're in an interesting position because, you know, it's it, it's hard I think to be able to attract an all star at this stage in the game. You know, I think you could have packaged. You, I could imagine a package with Buddy and other players working to get you an all star in July, when someone else was thinking about breaking it up and saying, okay, you know, we're, we're not going to be. We're not going to be competitive this year. You know, we got to get this guy off the books. Let's restart. Let's flip it over. You know, um, and and that didn't happen. And I presume, you know, obviously they were in, uh, uh, like, basically considered to be in the running for the Pascal Siakam discussion. Don't know exactly how far that went, but you had to think past. They, you know, the Raptors knew they could get Buddy Hill if they wanted him. You know, um, so that's. It, I don't know that that's something that's on the table right now. It could be in February. Um, you know, if some teams you know don't perform the way that they want to, and they decide they need to bust things up and, and go a different direction, you know, Buddy makes it easy to do that. You can take on his contract. You know, maybe somebody else's, and, and give give away somebody who, who costs a lot more, and you can still make the money work. Um, so it's it's an interesting scenario right now because I don't know that they can really elevate themselves with any move that they make right now. Um, so then the question, a fair question, I thought that that Greg, uh, our our columnist Greg Doyle. Um, wrote uh, today was just will Buddy in a position, you know, will Buddy, you know, be angry and want to bust things up? And so I think it's an interesting question. It, it, it's a interesting concept to ask about because, it, you know, things didn't end well in Sacramento. There was a while where I guess he wasn't, you know, reportedly wasn't returning texts or calls from Luke Walton from the coach, and so, so they kind of went sour there. Um, 
But I don't know. I, I don't see that from Buddy now. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, he's got an interesting personality. He's an interesting cat. You know, I, I've got along with him really well as far as the reporter uh, player relation, reporter source relationship. He's been great to me, so I've got no complaints about him whatsoever. Uh, he's an interesting cat, and I think he really fits well, really well in that locker room. But I also just don't think he and Ty are really close. He and Tyrese Halliburton are really close. I don't see him busting up what is now Tyrese Halliburton's franchise. You know, I, I think he'll uh, more likely, you know, basically kind of make a pact with Ty that, you know, get me paid someplace else. You know, I, I think he's more likely to do that. You know, they, they're, you know, obviously they had other guys in the team last year. Osage Shade Reset was a guy that they never, you know, engaged in real serious extension talks. Obviously he's not nearly the caliber of Buddy, but, you know, O'Shea was a good personality in that group. And when O'Shea went out to Boston and got paid, everybody was happy for him. So I don't know that, um, you know, does he, is his personality capable? Yes. Do I think he would do it to this group? I don't necessarily. I, I think you're going to get a professional version of Buddy Hield. He might not be happy every day. He might not be smiling as much as he did last year. But I think he'll give you 82 professional games. And I think that's valuable enough to keep around unless you can get a really good option. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation in what, in some ways, what's best for the Pacers from a this season standpoint is probably just to let them play out the year mm. because you've got more wings than you probably need. Mm. But he's got the one, as you noted, I mean, he, he's the one like really knock down, stand mm. out there and shoot three pointer that they have. Mm. Um, and so maybe they're happy to let him play this year and then walk away and having the salary cap space. That's not usually how things work, but. It'll be real interesting. Um, my thing on the trade is that it sort of needs to flip instead of the Pacers getting two guys back when mm. they really don't have anyone they necessarily want to cut. They need to send out two guys, including Buddy Heald, to get someone back. Sure. That is almost, or that is as complicated as anything else. I went through purely looking at who the top scorers in the NBA were because I think a wing who can score mm. is probably their biggest need based on what we know now. Uh, Pascal Siakam's a little more of a power forward than a, a pure wing. Um, obviously, there's been talk about him uh, mm. with the Pacers uh, earlier this summer. Brandon Ingram is one. Uh, Jeremy Grant is another one. OG Ananobi is not necessarily the 20-point-a-game scorer, but he's a forward that would make some sense for the Pacers. Zach Levine is probably the most interesting one. Um, now, again, you know, does Buddy Heald alone is probably not going to draw and bring you, and maybe the Bulls want to dump Levine's salary enough. I don't know that Buddy Heald makes a ton of sense on the Bulls, though. I don't, you know, and, and in some cases, like Brandon Ingram, is, you know, would Turner and Heald be enough? Do, does the Pelicans, do the Pelicans want Turner and Heald? Right. It gets real complicated real quick. I don't know if any of those names interest you at all in terms of a good fit for the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on just what else you flip, I think. And, and I do, to, to add to this, and this gets into another topic, is like I do think they want to see what they have. I think these, this, this, yes. you know, the way Chad Buchanan talked about it. And, and it went further with that than I expected. And we'll delve further in this, but like I, I thought, that I think you know 
there's a pretty obvious player that I think they should have tried to move uh, going into the season, and, and now is probably uh, better, uh, has some more trade value, is Daniel Tice, after he had a, a really strong performance for Germany, win the gold medal out at FIBA. Um, I thought they would try to move him just so they could make it a Justin Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith deal uh, at the five, trying to back up, you know, just trying to play for that backup spot behind Miles Turner. Um, you know, if, if you get Heald and Turner together, I mean, I don't, I don't think they want to move Turner. I mean, because I, I think you still need a really good five, and they're not easy to come by. Um, you know, there's, I, I, you know, there are definitely better players. I think Miles Turner is pretty directly like the tenth best center in the NBA. You know, I, I think he's he's better than average. You're never going to put him in that Jokic Embiid sphere. Like that's beyond his ceiling. But you know, you can trust him to be hit a pick and pop three, protect the rim. He's got a better sort of mid-range, going to the basket, short roll game going. Uh, really good chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton as a fi- as a as a pick, you know, pick and roll and pick and pop partner. Um, and so I, I just feel like you, you got him under contract for two more years. Just sign that deal. He's happy, you know. I mean, like Miles seems really really happy with where he's at. Um, and that's a player like I, I I don't love the idea of trading away. Um, and so I think, you know. I, all of those guys I find interesting on some level. I mean, I think, uh, you know, and Brown makes Ananobi a little bit less necessary for them. I, I think they needed a lockdown defender, and I think Brown mostly gets them there. Um, you know, if you could get, um, you know, would you would you take Ananobi for Hill straight up? You might. You know, you might. Because um, he's just that good of a defender. He makes you that much better at that level. You need some guys to develop the shooters. I mean, they've got guys that are capable, but they don't have guys who are great. You know, I think, you know, Matherin should be good, and he's just okay right now. And I think he finished what thirty-two point three from three. You know that's that number's got to come way up. Uh, you know, Neesmith is a guy who can knock down shots, but he's very, very streaky. You know, Nemhart's the same. You know, and so like all of these wings are just okay. Bruce Brown can shoot some, some threes. I think he was up at thirty-six percent last year, somewhere in that range. Um, so like all of these guys can, but you could really it'd be really helpful to have one guy who does, who makes shots repeatedly and, and, and has that kind of gravity that he'll has to say that, you know, his guy is never cheating off of him. You know, his guy is never leaving him. Um, that's that's really important to keep the floor spaced out for what they do in the middle with the pick and roll stuff with, with Halliburton. Um, so, I mean, like all, like I said, all those names are interesting. It does, you know, it, it does devalue certain guys. I mean, I think, again, from a, from a positional standpoint, um, you know, both Ingram and... Um, Who's the other one you mentioned? Siakam. Yeah. Siakam fit, fit better as force. I think that's as playmaking force, um, you know, but in terms of how you're going to set up the less rest of the lineup, you know, makes more sense as force. And I think they, they really want to see what Obi Toppin's got in, in heavy minutes, especially doing with Halliburton. So, I mean, those, those don't totally not work. I think, obviously, the fact that Toronto is getting, seems to be getting involved in the Damian Lillard talks could spring something loose, you know, so, so, so should could move some pieces around that suddenly, you know, say, okay, well, that makes sense. And maybe there's something that, that they went from Toronto, maybe Buddy, they put Buddy in there and, and do a three-way deal, and maybe that makes sense for everybody. So that's not out of the question. But, I mean, each of those guys is intriguing, um, you know. But, I, like I said, you don't know if Buddy doesn't do it, I don't think, for any of them. You know, I, I think you, you've got to package somebody else, and I don't know who that is. And you know what what that ultimately means and what they're willing to give up. I think they like I think they like having three point guards. Even if T.J. McConnell might take a se- severe minutes cut, I think they like having him in the back end just that, just in case 
you know, Alberton and Emhard get hurt, you got a third ball handler as an option. I think they, you know, I certainly they're going to move one of those centers if, if eventually, but I think they want to see how it plays out. And that's an interesting piece to go on too. But I, I, they're, they're not rushing to do it, and I can see why they're not rushing to do it. Yeah, I should make clear I'm not in necessarily pushing to get rid of Turner. Mm-hmm. It's just when you want to make a trade, right. mm-hmm. you got to give something up to get something, which is why trades make it hard. And Turner and Nebhart really seem like the best two options if you're going to pair two guys. But again, I'm not saying I would necessarily do those two guys for mm-hmm. the people I listed. I'm just trying to just sure. show you no, how absolutely. hard this all is. But yeah. uh, um, really quick, let's. Uh, oh well, the other thing I wanted to note is, I mean, the other thing here is, I don't think we really know what this Pacers team is, which is what you can yeah. was, which he was making very clear. I think you need 20 games to see what Wallace and Toppin are. You need 20 Walker. games, yeah. uh, Walker. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I, you I keep used, mixing up Kason Wallace and, and, and I, well, no, I, I used to not be able to. I can. I always called Miles Turner, Miles Tucker. <laughs> when you get old, that happens to you. Uh, Walker and Toppin. Um, I don't think we know. I, I, you know, the floor on Matherin is very good. We don't know what he's going to be this year. You, you just got to see some of these things before you have really understand. Unless someone knocks you over with an offer for Heald to know what mm. to do. Uh, you mentioned Heald is not the only uh, extension eligible player. Run down some of the other guys they have and what that situation is. Yeah, I, I don't have it all in front of me. I'm going to pull up spot track on my phone as I'm talking. I know, I mean, they obviously got Toppin with one more year on his deal, um, so they can obviously make a decision there. But obviously, you know, Chad said he hasn't played any games for us yet, so we're not going to get him to make uh, no contract um, negotiations basically with, with a guy that we haven't even seen play. I know, I think Aaron Neesmith, I believe, um, is is coming up on the end of his, and I think they're still trying to find out exactly you know, what, what they want to do there, I mean, where he fits, because they loved what he did last year, um, but obviously he was very valuable in a situation where he was playing um, an unnatural position for them. And it was, part of it was um, you know, being impressed by how well he did that. Um, but, um, you know, that's not what he's going to be this year. Um, he's not going to be, uh, you know, playing a small-time power forward and just trying to go over the top. You're going to want him as a wing to play a more natural three, and you're going to need him to produce. You're going to need him to score and uh, be able to defend. Again, they they really really like him, um, but um, they I don't think they know where exactly how far they want to take that, how much they want to pay him. I think they just want to see, you know, what goes there, right? Just where it goes from there. So, all right, I got I got to find out who else they got. Who okay. Who else contract expires in 2024? Um, Toppin, uh, well, Halliburton's does, but you know he obviously has a new one already. Jordan Nora is the other major one. So, so Nora and Neesmith are the two um, that end this year. Jalen Smith's 2025, Isaiah Jackson's 2025, uh, McConnell's 2025, but I think he might be not on a non-guaranteed situation. Um, Got to look, you know, check a little bit further to spot track on that one. But, but those are several others to look at, um, and I, and I think in all those cases they want to see more uh, before they know. What they're willing to pay, I think they also have to get, figure out, you know, definitively what Buddy is going to be, to you know really delve into those negotiations and, and, and make those signees. I think you know you have to know if you're going to have Buddy or not to know what you can pay Neesmith, to know what you can play pay Toppin, and have a sense of what you need from there. Um, if you're going to deal them, what you get back, 
Uh, I think there's there's a lot of you know moving puzzle pieces there that you don't want to uh, don't necessarily want to set any in place until you know what goes on with Buddy. So those are I think the three big ones that they are trying to figure out what to do. But they're certainly not going to do anything with Obi until they get a sense of who he's going to be. Would it would it surprise me if he has a phenomenal top first thirty or forty games if they extend at that point? It wouldn't surprise me. But because uh, I think they really like his potential fit, they really like him as a person. You know, like everybody should talk about how great he is on the uh, thing. Issue is. Not really a defender, hasn't been traditionally, but great floor runner. You know that that's his number one skill is to be able to run the floor. You know he's basically like a tight end running the seam out there and dunking. Um, that's his deal, and that fits phenomenally well with what Tyrese Halliburton does. So um, they they want to see more of the fit, I think, before they know what they'd be willing to pay him. Um, I think they like to do it, but it's just a question of how much, how many years. You know what they think about what they're doing with Walker, how long it's going to take for them to feel like they can confidently start him. Uh, if they need to give two or three years before they feel willing to kind of move a 19-year-old kid, you know, someone's 19 right now into that role, um, you know, I think those are a lot of the questions they want to answer this season before they think about who they're paying, how much. Another big question, uh, what you wrote about today, uh, is obviously the four-headed center. Turner's clearly the starter, um, but they've got three other guys and really only need one um, last year, I think it was easy to have everyone play nice. Mm. This year, you're getting to the point where some of these guys, Jalen Smith, Daniel Tice, um, Isaiah Jackson, I, I mean, they have to be a little selfish about what their future is and what mm. they can make on the open market if they're not going to be playing with the Pacers. How do you see all that playing out? And that also builds on the fact that they're, you know, we've talked about. I mean, is there a role for Naismith? Who's playing? You know, is is there a role for McConnell? Um, mm-hmm. Let's start with the centers, but also uh, touch base on how much competition there is at sort of the secondary level for this team. You know, that was something that was really striking for me. I mean, I you knew even going back to the summer. I mean, Rick Carlisle when we talked to him in July uh, in Vegas, just after they made the top and trade official. Um, you know, he was just talking about just how much competition he could be, and he loves it as a coach. I mean, it, it really seems like it's up Rick Carlisle's alley. Um, but I was surprised at, so I wasn't surprised that, you know, um, that they like the idea of having competition and, and having guys earn it, and, and they'd rather have that than a scenario where you only have 10 or 11 guys you can really trust, um, and you, you don't have a lot of battles, basically. You don't have a lot of fights uh, for real playing time. Maybe there's a, a, a battle for first and second team and who's on which, but it's not. A, you don't have too many guys that are either, I make this group or I don't play. Um, and they have that this year. They really, really have that. I was surprised... Um, to ask about the center situation and them say, you know, have Chad Buchanan say, we really want to let this play out. Like, we want to see how this goes, and we're not making a move until we know who's where. You know, that they're not still, I mean, like, obviously they're always taking calls, but they're not actively, aggressively trying to move somebody out of that competition to clear it up. And because it's too many, it is too many guys. You know, it's, I mean, there there are probably not just going to be one, but two. Uh, players who are absolutely capable of being a functional and, and productive backup center in the NBA who are not going to be playing. Uh, and so somebody's really not going to be getting minutes. Uh, and that's going to be a tough scenario. And, and I think, you know, personality-wise, I think Jackson and Smith, are, they're fine. You know, I mean, they're, they're just really easygoing guys. You know, they're, they're really easy go along together along type guys. They're not going to cause any problems. You know, Tice, you know, I mean, they shut him down last year, and I don't think he was happy with it. 
he didn't say so. You know, he didn't come out and say it, but like, you know, they played him seven games basically what it seemed like just to say, hey, this guy's still functional. He's still useful. You, you got enough tape from him from us that you should want to trade us for him. You know, he, he, can, you know, he came back from the knee surgery. He's still as skilled as he was, as big as he was. He can fight for rebounds. He can defend. You know, he can pass. He can shoot. He can handle. You know, for a big man, he's, he's just, he, he is a five man who can absolutely contribute for any team. You know, he was valuable, I think, on the, um, on the Celtics uh, group that went to the finals in 2021-22, it's like, hey, he's still the same guy. He's not any different than what you saw from Boston, you know, from him in Boston, you know. So somebody make us an offer. And obviously, if anybody ever did make him an offer, it didn't move the needle for them. Um, and then he comes out and plays even better than I remember uh, for Germany. You know, he put a lot of good stuff on tape there. But they seem interested in seeing if he can win it. And so if he wins it, I don't know what you do with Jackson Smith. I don't know what your next move is. Um, you know, like on some level, one of those is more valuable as a trade piece because they are so young. Um, but you know, the tough spot is is everybody does something well. You know, and and that's all you need from your backup center is a guy to do a couple things well. Um, you don't necessarily need him to be a dominant, you know, really great all around five man. Um, but they're all good enough because they all give you something. You know, Isaiah Jackson's got just a leaping ability and the athleticism. He's a great rim runner. He's a great lob finisher. Uh, he's a great, you know, really good shot blocker. Good enough rebounder. Jalen Smith re- rebounded the highest, you know, per, per 36 out of any of those guys. I think he was even even more than Turner. I mean, he was he was well in double digits per 36 last year, and he can shoot it better than the rest of them. He's not a great outside shooter, but I mean, the other two combined for four three pointers, he hit like 54. You know, he's got some ability to be a, a relatively high volume pick and pop three point shooting guy. Tice just again, he's just. The, the, the body, you know, having somebody that's a real wide body that you can use against the Valanchunas in the world of the world, you know, like what, what Team USA didn't have, you know, like Tice was a problem for them because, you know, he's got that big wide body. Like it, it helps to have somebody like that uh, on your team when you really need to muscle up. Um, there's not too many of those centers, but there's a handful. They mostly come from overseas. Um, you know, Valanchunas, you know, Nurkic, you know, big wide, wide body guys like that. Tice gives you a guy who can, you know, match up that way. Um, and you know, and he's still really skilled. So he, all three of them can do something. But it's just I, you, you, I don't know that you can have those one of them languishing on the bench, you know, all year. But I mean, I think they want to see where things are going to go. If they're going to have any injuries, you know, early on in the process, you know, they they don't want to get rid of anybody before, you know, they know what they have and get out of the woods a little bit to be able to trust, you know, uh, what they've got. But um, it's 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 interesting. So that that plays into the whole bigger deal. It's like, again, there are a lot of positions where they have some redundancies and they're sticking with it. And I think they want to see where it goes. They want to see how much, you know, like they want to see Jordan Nora in that mix with Obi Toppin and Jairus Walker at the four and also Aaron Neesmith and Benedict Matherin at the three and see if Nora earns himself uh, a place to uh, place that we, yeah, we just, some big news just came through right as we're talking. Damian Lillard is getting traded to the Bucks. Wow. So everything, uh, so says Woj. Um, so in the middle of recording this, so you can tell exactly what time we were talking on um, on Wednesday. It is 2.17 p.m., and you know because that's when Woj broke this, that he's getting traded the buck. So that, not only that, changes the buddy scenario. Um, I'm not exactly sure how yet, but uh, that's a pretty big deal. And we don't have, Woj is not saying who the Blazers are getting, but so... Uh, Damon Giannis in the East is going to be a deal. That is going to be a force. Are they going to move Drew Holiday? Are they going to keep Drew Holiday? 
Oh, wow. Three-team deal. Okay. All right, here it is. Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tamani Kamara, our good friend Tamani Kamara, who uh, practiced or uh, took, had multiple camp deals. Phoenix lands Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. So forget the whole Grayson Allen thing. Um, well, yeah, that is, a, that is an earth shifter right there. So three-team deal involving Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Portland. Wow. And where does wow. Aiden go? Aiden, Aiden, go, oh, I'm guessing Aiden goes to Milwaukee. No. Must be Portland. I have no idea. Phoenix gets Nurkic, Allen, Little, and Johnson. I don't know who Portland gets. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I, I haven't even figured out. This is wild. Uh, all right, so... So okay, you'll see this. You'll see all that stuff before, and all the uh, all the analysis of all that and whatnot. So, but that's so you just got our you know immediate reaction on tape. Wow, that is just an, an earth shifting trade. But to get back to the paces, where were we? We were talking about competition, um, and again, this obviously sort of changes how this can go in terms of what teams they might be able to get involved with in the deal uh, if they move healed. But you know, you're you're looking at a scenario where you've got three point guards, you know, Halliburton, Nemhard, and McConnell. Uh, you know, McConnell can easily find himself as the odd man out, even though he's coming off the best offensive season of his career. You have a lot of depth at, at wing between Brown, healed for the moment, um, Matherin, Neesmith. You can still play Nembard of the two if you had to or, or if you want to. Um, and you still have Ben Shepard in there. I don't know how, how fast Ben Shepard's going to get any minutes. Uh, you can play Nora at the three. It's possible he gets part of that, that group. You still have, you know, you're looking at Toppin and Walker and potentially Nora at the four or even Neesmith at the four. Point being is you're you're really deep at all of these spots. You're going to have some unhappy people, but they seem to be okay with the idea of having some unhappy people and dealing with that afterwards, just to see their full hand and figure out, you know, who everybody is and where everybody fits. Uh, yeah, obviously, as you noted, uh, this will be old news perhaps by the time that uh, you're listening to the podcast. But Milwaukee gets Lillard, uh, Portland gets Holiday, Aiton, Kamara, a first round pick in 2020. Uh, nine, and then pick swaps in 2028 and 2030, and then as you noted, Nurkic, uh, Allen, Little, and Johnson go to uh, to Phoenix. So uh, Phoenix getting a little bit of depth in exchange for Aiton, which makes sense, uh, and then Milwaukee adding Lillard, which makes sense. Holiday going to Portland is probably the only aspect of that deal that doesn't make a ton of sense in terms of the short term. But obviously, you got to match up salaries and names, and Portland can move Holiday. Uh, um, later, if they wish. So, um, but we'll stick with the Pacers, uh, as it doesn't seem other than Milwaukee uh, becoming a bigger threat and uh, Giannis perhaps being more likely to stay in Milwaukee. There isn't an immediate, a direct Pacers impact on that. Um, the other thing we've really talked about off, uh, you know, offline um, is the Pacers have a bunch of interesting pieces. They talk about wanting to start Matherin. If you're starting Halliburton and Matherin, that's not a lot of defense. Brown's probably going to start with them. Toppin is not known as some kind of shutdown wing defender. So, if, you know, Turner obviously is a great rim protector. Um, it seems like, uh, I mean, you've talked about them having a great offensive lineup and a great defensive lineup, but no great offense and defensive right. lineup. Mm-hmm. How do you see that, all that fitting together this season? Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I think if, if you're looking at your best offensive five and your best defensive five, the only overlapping player there is Miles Turner. Uh, you know, I, I think your best offensive five is would be, you know, again, with Heald still on the roster, would be Halliburton, Heald, Mather, and Toppin, Turner. 
you know that's that's your that's your best offensive five. You know that team can score with just about anybody. I don't trust any of those guys to again. Turner obviously is is, is fine. He's really good as a defensive five man. But any of those first, first four, I don't. You know, right now at this point, don't trust any of those four to really guard somebody. Uh, you know, there's defensive value in each of them. You know, uh, Halliburton is a really good sort of off the ball. You know kind of ball hawk uh, defender. It was really, and he, obviously he was top 10 in the league in steals last year with 1.6. And a lot of that comes from his ability, you know, his, his understanding of how to cheat, how to gamble, uh, not cheat in a, you know, illegal sort of way, but just to cheat towards the middle of the floor to get off his defender to, you know, just just take some space and, and, and make some, take some risks and go get in the direction of the ball. You know, having a, a great instinct, being able to read plays, know what a team's trying to do before they do it and get to the ball before it gets in somebody's hands. But when it is some, in somebody's hands, uh, he has a hard time stopping that guy, especially if he's getting screened. Um, he has a really hard time navigating screens. So that's one of his biggest weaknesses as a player. Um, but he has some defensive value, but he's just not great at guarding somebody. He might be the best defensive player in the NBA who you can't necessarily trust to lock somebody down. Uh, best perimeter guy that, that has that much of that kind of skill and, and not as much as you would like uh, when it comes to really locking down a player one-on-one. Um, but, you know, you put those, you, you can't trust any of, of those guys to, to play and take on and slow down uh, one of the best players in the league. And then you have a defensive five. You know, I would say their best defensive five would probably be uh, you could either, either Nimhard or McConnell. Uh, and then Brown, Neesmith, uh, Walker, even though he's young, I think he's going to get there. Uh, and Turner would be, you know, your five. And, and, you know, you could have a good second unit starting, you know, a defensive group that includes Isaiah Jackson that you could feel really good about. But, you know, does anybody on that group score? I mean, maybe Brown. You know, I mean, like uh, sometimes a little Nemhard, a little Neesmith, a little Brown some. Uh, you know, I imagine Walker will become a good playmaker and a good scorer as he grows uh, into the league. Um, and Isaiah Jackson can finish any lobs that you want. But in terms of really being able to create a lot of offense, you know, be a real bucket getter, there's not, not necessarily anybody in that five. So it's trying to figure a mix and max, mix and match scenario um, where, okay, you know, how many good defenders do you need in that starting lineup? How many guys who can really guard somebody you can trust? Last year, that's why they had Nemhard and Neesmith in, in the starting lineup is, is when you're facing these teams with two really good scorers, they already ha- always had two pretty good answers in Nemhard and Neesmith. And even with that, even with making the point to get those two guys in the starting lineup, they were still 29th in the league in points allowed, 26th in, offense, or, uh, in, uh, in, in defensive efficiency. Um, so, you know, what does that look like if, if it's just Bruce Brown? You know, basically, because that sounds like, it, 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 I think if, if you kind of had everybody put money on what you're starting five right now, it's probably Halliburton, Brown, Matherin, Toppin, Turner. So you only have one good perimeter defender in that group in Brown. So who do you, you know, if you're playing the Clippers, you know, and you've got Brown on Kawhi, who's guarding Paul George? You know, if you've got, you're going to play, play Milwaukee, you're going to play, be playing Giannis and Dame. Who's guarding, you know, like, I mean, who's guarding Giannis? I mean, I guess you could, you know, like, dear Lord, who's guarding Giannis? Um, I mean, whoever guards Giannis, but still, you could at least throw somebody on him and pray. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of, of, of other two-man teams, you know, um, or, or, you know, really loaded group. If you're, if you're dealing with Phoenix and you've got, uh, you know, Beal and Booker, who's guarding those guys? You know, like, what, what does that look like? Um, you know, Tatum and Brown, who's guarding those guys? You know, like, how, how do you, how do you deal, deal with all this? Um, and I don't know. And that's, I think, going to be the, the most interesting question for Rick Carlisle to answer is this, 
uh, as this you know as the month of October goes on and as the season goes on is you know how do you keep all that offensive firepower and still put together a functional defensive line. Alrighty, well that is our first uh, from way downtown podcast for this season for the Pacers. Uh, like I said, media day is Monday. Uh, we'll be back at this uh, after that uh, early next week. Uh, please go to IndyStar.com for uh, more Pacers coverage. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.